all of a sudden, these apostles spoke in languages that was not their own. That's what happened in this particular passage of Scripture. And there's, there's a little debate about that. They began to speak the words of Christ in a language that they did not grow up speaking. All right? And these were not educated people. All right? And so what happened here, you have all this hustle and bustle Jews coming from all over the then known world, it's busy. There's commerce going. There's noise. Mixed languages all over. If you go to Israel today, you go to Jerusalem right now, it's that way. Uh, we've been there several times. And I'd love to go again sometime. I'd love to you go with us sometime. It's a wonderful experience to be in Jerusalem. And you hear all kinds of languages. Because there's, there's tour buses of people from all over the world. And, and you hear all kinds of languages. And that's what was going on in this time. And so the gospel of Christ is right here. And so the Holy Spirit come in this manner to uh, preach the gospel. And he gives these men at this time the ability to speak in languages that they did not know. So it was confusing. There was some chaos going on here. But it wasn't out of order at all. It was just different. It was something they had never experienced before. And uh, there's a word out there that kind of describes this. I think it might be a help to you today. I looked it up on my dictionary this week. It's called chaotic. It's a cool word. I never knew it existed until this week. Chaotic. And what that means is chaos and order at the same time. Chaotic. And it's governed by or combining elements of both chaos and order. It's two things going on at the same time. It looks to be chaotic, but there is order to it. And, and that's what happens to a lot of our lives, is it not? Sometimes our lives appear to be very chaotic, right? And then over a period of time, God begins to bring a peace into it. He brings another piece of, of information. He brings another uh, piece of, of uh, life into the situation. And then some six months later, you look back and say, oh, I now see the order. Right? I now see, man, it was tough. One piece at a time was tough. But when I see it all put together, I say, oh, now I see where God has me. Right? And so this word, I think, is something Christians ought to grab to. I think it's a word that if you understood, it might help you balance yourself when the waves get this way. Right? And because some of you are going through those types of things in life right now. And so uh, you have chaos and order at the same time. And so somehow they come to this passage of Scripture, and they I, and we're going to get to it. Just hold on. I see you getting in a hurry. Don't get in a hurry. Acts 2, 14 in just a minute. But somehow they come to this idea that, uh-oh, they're listening to these hillbillies from Galilee. They're uneducated. They're hillbillies from Galilee. We're going to call them that. And all of a sudden, they're saying, what is going on? And so they say, 
It's nine o'clock in the morning. They must be wasted. <laughs> they must be drunk, right? It's obvious. They're speaking in language. They're hillbillies. How are they talking in languages? And it's amazing how they hearing languages come out of their mouth that they're very fluent and perfect, but yet they think they're drunk. <laughs> that doesn't normally happen to a drunk person, right? I've never seen that happen. That somebody gets totally wasted and they start speaking in languages perfectly. But that's all they could think about. And we'll tell you a little bit why that happened that way. Uh, because it was just, they couldn't figure it out. So we know that Peter has recently denied Jesus Christ. He stands up with power. Now, when you hear preachers preach about power, be very careful because, man, we get this idea that when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you have this power, and, and, and they, then they go on and tell you what you should be able to do if you have enough faith, and if you have this power, and, and that somehow it's, it's nothing less or short of magic. That somehow the Holy Spirit coming on me allows me magical powers. And the word power simply means ability. He came and gave them the power to speak in the Spirit. Well, he gave them the ability to speak in other languages. Doesn't that make more sense? Okay, now that's something we can get our teeth into. We can grab that. He gave Peter the power, the ability to speak in a language that was not his own. Now, with us, that's a big deal. If I just started preaching to you right now in fluent Spanish, you would just say, oh, Lord. Because you that know me know that I don't speak Spanish. All right? And so that's what was going on. And I understand this. Be careful when we hear these kinds of things. Because sometimes I listen and it becomes more like magic. That somehow the power of the Spirit is something mystical. It's something so way out there that it allows you to change the course of life because you have this faith power. Man, that's not what's going on here. We might argue some of that later on some other passage, but not here. And people do this. Uh, uh, they, they motivate. And I understand there's all kinds of preaching out there. You have motivational preaching. And there are people that will take a portion of Scripture, and then they will take a topic, and then they will speak to you to lift you up where you are and try to help motivate you to be more than you are and to go out and be successful and to go out and have the things of this world. I understand that. But that's not spirit-empowered preaching. No, wait a minute. I just said something. You should have talked to me. That is not spirit-empowered preaching. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're still not getting it. It's good stuff. Anything that motivates us to be, that's great. Anything that gets us excited about life, I'm okay for that. We're here to talk about what does it mean to have spirit-empowered preaching. Because what we're hearing a lot of doesn't necessarily fall into that category. And that's what I want to get across to you today. Because 
you need to, out here in this culture, you need to know the difference. All right? Or you're going to attach spirit-empowered preaching to some good, helpful, motivational speaking. And you're going to think they're the same. And they're not. Peter did not just speak so that these Jew listeners could become successful in their life. Peter wasn't speaking so that these people could learn how to get along in their marriage. Peter didn't speak with the power, the ability of the Spirit to tell us how we can not get in debt. Right? That wasn't the subject matter of Holy Spirit-empowered preaching. I better get back to the notes. Because, man, I, now, I'm, now I'm really distracted. And so I want you to understand that Spirit-empowered... I didn't say those speeches, those sermons are not helpful at some level. I like anything that makes me me more positive, right? Because left to myself, I can get real negative. Don't say anything, Connie. You understand? I can see the cynic. I can, I, I, I can be very cynical. I, you know, it's just I, my life has pushed me. So I have to, on purpose, not allow myself to fall into that flesh. Because God has been good. God is good. God's going to continue to be good. I don't care the disappointments I've ever had. They don't measure up to the gift he's given me. Amen. Right, guys? Amen. So all the mess that I've, the disappointments and i coming short and always struggling and getting older and the pains that you folks and we go through together. But you know what? Put it all together. Take this whole body. Put all of our junk right here in the middle. God is still greater than all of that. Amen? He's gr Well, go ahead and do it. Don't halfway do it. All right? We can't be doing things halfway. God is greater than all that stuff. Even when we face death of our family members, and some of you have had to face that, and you cried in the pain of that, in the end, God brings comfort to you. Amen? That we've got hope. Right? That it isn't over. Right? It's just over for now. <laughs> right? And so, so we have that. So, I, so I, I, I like that. But I really want you to grow up to the point that you can say, well, that's good, but I know what spirit-empowered preaching is. Number one, spirit-empowered preaching is grounded in Scripture, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice <clears throat> and addressed them. Men of Judah, or men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Everybody's gathered from all over the unknown world. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. See, they supposed they were drunk. Since it is only the third hour of the day. Well, they begin counting the hours of day at six in the morning. See, the day started at six in, at night. You know, that's when the Sabbath starts, six at night. But the day starts... The third hour of the day would make it 9 o'clock in the morning. That's the third hour of the day. 
See, our day begins in the morning. Their day begins at night. And the third hour of the day is 9 o'clock in the morning. And so uh, he's saying, look, uh, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These men are not drunk. You see, Jews wouldn't even eat. This is the first prayer time. They wouldn't even eat before 9 o'clock in the morning. They've already eaten the night before. They're not going to eat until the first time of prayer happens. And then they'll eat after that. So he's saying they're not drunk. They, they would not do that. And so, now today that might not work, okay? <laughs> right? I'm sure there's a lot of people drinking long before 9 o'clock in the morning. All right. But in that day, it was very obvious. He could say, no, no, we don't do that. We don't even eat. So we're fine. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So spirit-empowered preaching is grounded in Scripture. And when Peter starts his first sermon after the Holy Spirit comes upon him in a special way, he starts preaching what Joel, the Scriptures, already said. He didn't make something up. He didn't just get up and say, oh, I tell you, though, God's coming, and, and just start talking out of the top of his head. When the Holy Spirit came upon him, he said, hey, guys, they're not drunk, okay? He wanted to qualify that first. That's, that's the best way to start a church service, okay? <laughs> All right? They're not drunk. Now, this is something that has to do with Joel, the prophet. He goes right to the Bible. He goes right to the prophet. He goes right to already written scripture. And in the last days it shall be, verse 17, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. When we say that prophesy, it means they will preach. Don't make that something mystical. It doesn't mean they will make up stuff. That's not what it means. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and we don't know what they're going to say. No, they're going to say stuff out of the Scriptures. That's Spirit-empowered preaching. It's grounded in the Scriptures, all right? And he says, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on uh, my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the... Now understand there's two different things going on here because he says in these last days. So keep this in mind. He said there's going to be signs and wonders <clears throat> and the earth below and blood and fire and vapor and smoke and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. Now this is a pretty cool statement. The great and magnificent day. Man, that's a neat word, isn't it? <laughs> what is the great and magnificent day? You know what it is, I think? It's the day right here preaching the gospel of Christ. We live in the great magnificent day. We, we take it for granted, but the fact that we're up here all over the world today, there is preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ all over this world. That's a magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This can be twofold. Now that, that phrase, Jew, Israel used that in the Old Testament. If they would call upon the name of the Lord, he would come and help them out of their trouble. <clears throat> 
But in the gospel magnificent day, sinners, people without God who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved eternally. It's kind of a twofold understanding there. And so Peter is using scripture to show them how and what things are happening at that time. Isn't that good? Spirit-empowered preaching is grounded in the Bible. So I say, here's another point. Let the Bible interpret our experiences. Be careful not to let your experiences interpret the Bible. Right? We have to be very careful. Thank God for experiences. Experiences are great. But don't let your experiences interpret the yourself. But I don't know what, I don't care what the Bible says. This is the way I feel. No, you do care what the scripture says. Because the way your experience may not line up with the scripture. But what we're being taught that your experiences are what you need to be following. It seems to be very acceptable to leave things unquestioned. Because if somebody says, this is what happened to me, we automatically are supposed to agree that must be of God. If somebody stepped up here, man, there's churches all over. They say, oh, this week God came to me in a dream and a vision, and we'll start talking like that, and we're just supposed to walk out and say, oh, praise God, it was inside a church building, so it must be true. Man, do you believe that? That miracle happened right there. And I didn't see anything, but boy, they said this is what happened. They had this little... Folks, just because you have an experience does not mean it's from the Scripture. That doesn't necessarily mean it's of God. Boy, I want to say that nicely. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm trying to help all of us to bring back some reasonability about what preaching is. It doesn't have to be God. I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to say something here. Uh, I'm not trying to be ugly at all. All right? That's not what I'm trying to do. And I'm not picking on one particular sin because we all have sins that we deal with, right? I mean, we all deal with some type of sin of a heart, some people have weaknesses that they just can't get off of the certain sins in their lives. I understand that. But we're living in a day, and young people, wake up just for a minute. I'm not saying you're sleeping, but you may not be thinking with me. Okay? So wake up and look at me, because I'm trying to help you. I'm going to deal with something, because I've seen the generations come and go. I've got four kids all the way, you know, in their 30s, all the way down, and, and then I see the young people that Scott works with here coming up. I understand all of that. But we live in a culture that, that, that lives this way. And there are Christian kids who think this way. In their hearts, they say, I know <clears throat> that God, through the Bible, speaks against living together sexually outside of marriage. If you read the scriptures, it's obvious. That is something that God says no. Okay? Kids grow up in church and they, they understand that. They want to believe it. And they believe it until they get the opportunity. Right, guys? That's what happens. And, and, and when we live in a culture that embraces it, 
then it makes those of us Christians over here look like we're drunk, okay? <laughs> Dad, are you drunk? Will you shut up? I mean, get with it. Everybody, this is just part of our culture now, and we don't see a big deal. So we start arguing in that kind of manner. And if you are in that this morning, and I've dealt with people from Simply Church that live together and all this, I am not condemning you in the least. Believe me, I've got my own sin to worry about. Come on, folks, you do too. So we're not here to condemn anybody. I'm not here. And if you're sitting in that kind of a situation right now, man, if you want prayer, come talk. I'll help you in any way, uh, but there's no condemnation in this at all. I don't have any. I'm trying to make a point. I'm using this bold one because it is so acceptable now among the new generation. And those of us who just simply point out God's view are looked at as, eh, get out of here. Because here's why people think when they come to their own sin, whether it's that one or one of our own, like say we gossip, right? I still like that old line back there in hee-haw, you know, I don't like repeating gossip, so listen up the first time, <laughs> all right? All right, I, I would never repeat it, <laughs> right? But I'll tell it to you, and then you go tell somebody, all right? And so... We have our own sins that we deal with, and, uh, uh, but in this one, <clears throat> what, what happens is, and, and, and here's what happens. I've heard it from teenagers. I've heard it from close people to my, uh, my home. I, I've, God will understand. Yeah. He will, but not the way you think. He will, but not the way you think. When we say, when we know we're adverse to the scriptures, but then we think in our heart, God will understand I'm just human and weak. What you're th saying is, I know this is God's will, but he'll let me slide because he loves me unconditionally. That's what you hear, right? You've heard that. But see, God makes it clear what marriage was from the beginning. And, and nowhere in Scripture does marriage refer to anything other than a man and a woman. Connie, I need to take my name out of being president. I just blew it. That's on tape, so they got me. Right? So I, my aspirations of running are over. But it's not there. And I don't want to get into that. I want to keep this idea that God understands. We think that God will understand in a way that absolves us. Right? But, it, but go read King David. King David didn't get absolved from his wicked sin. Right? Go talk to Solomon. Talk to Samson. How about Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament? They didn't get absolved. Yeah, God does understand, but we, but we kind of think that when God understands, we're saying that God will, will not bring any consequence to us. And that's not what it means. Yes, God does understand, but he also gives you responsibilities. And that's the way God works. 
And so Paul tells us not to let sin reign in our mortal body and so forth. And God's word is to shape us. Now, let's get back to this. Peter says 900 years before this time that God promised Joel, uh, uh, the prophet, and he talked to him about the day in which this spirit is going to come down and live within his people, and here's what's going to happen. And that's what happens here. All men, women, slaves, rich, young, poor, old, all nationalities, they call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And so... I think the best way to understand that is, is in these days, that is the last days. We are still living in the last days. When you hear things like the day of the Lord, it doesn't mean one 24-hour day. When it says in these last days, it began at Pentecost. We are still living in the last days of that time frame. And so preaching needs to be scripturally grounded. Not just preaching words that come out of the Bible. It's preaching with understanding. It's understanding the text. It's understanding the writer and how they were hearing it when they heard it. That's what it means to have spiritual, empowered preaching. All right? And God gives power and understanding through His inspired Word. And somebody says, well, you need to preach topics and you need to preach things that are relevant for people because today people have short attention spans, right? And so therefore they need application. They need something to keep them interested. They need something flashy and exciting because they, they just, they, they're not going to get it. Let me tell you, we still need spirit-empowered preaching today. You see, 40 years ago, people were much more well-versed in the Scriptures. Today, the generations are not well-versed. Our kids don't read the same way we did 30 years ago. They don't read like that. Everything's electronic. Their reading skills are at a low level because that's what our education system does. We just assume because kids go to church, they understand the Scriptures. That's not true. They still need to be taught the Scriptures. It's amazing, isn't it? Everybody, I don't care if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, at least one time a week, I think more, but let's don't argue that. One time a week, every believer in Jesus Christ needs to sit under sound preaching of the Word of God. I have not met anyone who does not need it. All the way from the preachers to those who... Amen? Amen. Preachers need to sit and listen to the preaching of the Word of God. Not sermons, not just preaching, but the preaching of the Word of God. I'm telling you, every seven days, you need that going through your brain. Amen? Amen. Come on, folks. You need that. Quit thinking you don't, because you do. Everybody needs that. Young people, if anything, I don't know, you may not buy into everything I say. You may not buy into everything your mom and dad say. But buy into this one thing that God says. You need a good dose of good preaching once a week at least. Right? Because I'm telling you, 
If you don't get that constant preaching from the Word of God, your life will take a whole different course. Right, guys? We've lived it. We know. And so, every week we need that. Secondly, Spirit-empowered preaching is Christ-centered. Is Christ-centered. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He's preaching to a group of people, these 120 plus, they saw Jesus after he rose again. You believe that? He said, you guys know this. You saw it with your own eyes. We ate with him. That's amazing, isn't it? Look at verse 23. This Jesus, not some Jesus, this Jesus. You say, but preacher, there was a lot of Jesuses in that day. Everybody claimed to be Jesus in that day. Yeah, but there was only one that died and rose again. You never mentioned the other ones after that, right? He pretty, he pretty much set himself apart from the fakes. Right, guys? And he said, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. For David says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh, all, flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. David is speaking the words of Jesus. David didn't go to hell. <laughs> in verse 27, For you will not abandon my soul in Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. He's talking about Jesus. <clears throat> He's not going to die and rot in that tomb. Verse 28, and you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. In other words, he's saying when David wrote these words, he wasn't writing about himself he was writing about the Messiah. He was writing about the Christ who would come and die. He said, because David, he's over there. I've been there. If you're sitting on the, on the eastern wall of Jerusalem, Temple Mount, if you look across, you'll see the olive uh, garden of Gethsemane. And, and you go down this valley and up. It takes you several hours to walk the road all the way around. And right over about it, I can see it with my eyes. I've seen it three or four times now. And, and as you're sitting on the pinnacle, of the, that's the place where they say Jesus was tempted to throw himself off. And so if you look across there, you'll see a big old concrete box. And it's David's tomb. And then right above there, you'll see the church of all nations. And then right off to the left there, you'll see the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And they would walk down the road, way down to this area. You see that road. Then that road comes back up. And there's David's tomb. And what he's saying is, Peter says, guys, David's not talking about himself because David's over there in the tomb. He's talking about Christ. 900 years before it happened. Amazing. He foresaw, verse 31, and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Haiti, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of the Father. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, Peter's explaining what's happening. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, to me, sit at my right hand until I make you your enemies a footstool. What you see here today, Peter says, is proof that Jesus is Christ. That's what he was teaching. And so spirit-empowered preaching is scripturally grounded. Spirit-empowered preaching makes much of Jesus. Much of Jesus. You see, when I grew up, I was more, I grew up in a fundamentalist background. And so when I grew up, it was, there was a lot of rules, Right? And my dad had a lot of rules for us. And, and to watch my dad grow in the 50 years, and then for me to pastor with him for 20 years nearly, you know what I mean? And, and to have him grow, and he and I both together trying to traverse this. But then, but then I moved into, uh, after I started preaching, uh, I moved into a phase of principles, evangelicalism, all right? So I became an evangelical, okay? And I moved into that. And uh, that's principles, but here's what I've come to. The Christian life is not about rules. It's not about principles. The Christian life is about a relationship. It's a relationship with your heavenly Father. Man, it's made the difference. It's brought me to Florida. It's brought me to Jacksonville. It's brought me to Simply Church. That it is a relationship with God. Amen? That's what it's about. And it's a journey. And the journey, man, God always gives us twists and turns, doesn't he? The Christian life is not a bed of roses. I've heard that so many times. And those, those of us who have been saved for decades will say, yeah, the, it's tough. Christian life's not a bed of roses. But let me tell you, a life of sin isn't either. <laughs> Amen? The life of sin isn't a bed of roses either. Many of us have walked away from that, have we not? It's not a bed of roses either. And this book, the Bible, is not just simply a collection of stories to bring moral values out to us. It's about what Jesus did, not what we do. That's what it's about. And then lastly, gospel-empowered preaching is grounded in scriptures. It's centered on Christ. And this last one, it is heart-focused. Gospel, spiritual, empowered preaching is heart-focused. 
Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You know where that word comes from in the Greek? Pierced. You know where we get that word pierced? Over there on the cross when they took the sword and they pierced his side. It's the same word. When Peter preached with spirit-empowered preaching, it pierced their heart. That's what spirit-empowered preaching does. It pierces the heart of mankind. And he said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? At the end of Peter's sermon, guess what they said? Their hearts were pierced because they realized now they played a part in crucifying Christ, their sin. And what a great response. Peter, what do we do now? Isn't that good? That's a great response to any message. Okay, preacher, we get it. Now what do we do? Right? Peter, what do we do about that? Spirit-empowered preaching pierces the heart. Verse 38. And Peter said, repent. That's what you do, man. When the Holy Spirit of God pierces your heart, you repent. Now, I want you in your Bible to put a little parenthesis around that, the word repent and. Put a parenthesis there, like that. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then put another parenthesis behind the word Christ. Put it there or you're going to mix the message here. For the forgiveness of your sins. Because a lot of people will take that verse and say, see, you have to be baptized. But you need to put parentheses around there, and I'll explain it. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from the crooked generation. So this those who received his word were baptized. It's not baptism didn't have them receive the word. They received the word, and then they were baptized. And there were added to that church about 3,000 souls, not 3,000 bodies. Amen? It said 3,000 souls, not bodies. Souls. That's what builds churches. It's souls. All right? And so what happened here, and I've got to go do this quick, so we want to go. When he says repent, that's the only thing Peter says that a sinner has to do is to repent. That's it. You say, well, what about this and be baptized? Well, you have to understand the way it is written. The baptism is a result of the repentance. It is the outward sign that I have already repented. It is an outward picture of me being baptized in the Spirit of Christ. And that's the way it's written, but sometimes people want to make that say something different. It's the time that you come and you trust Jesus to forgive you. 
And look at this graphic I've put up here, or this statement. It is not repentance plus baptism equals forgiveness, right? The Jews in that day never heard that. But it is repent and believe. That's all in the same word. Plus nothing equals forgiveness. Makes it clear there. Because, that word for can be translated because. Because your sins have been remitted, be baptized. And that's the way it's written. If it was the other way around, if what I just said it was true the other way around, then it would say it in all the other passages of Scripture. Right? But this is the only Scripture that the wording is this way. I think it's very clear what God's saying. What do you do when the Holy Spirit pierces your heart? You repent. Amen? Even for those of us that are saved, we repent. Let me close with this. Musicians, why don't you come? Are you being pulled to Christ this morning? Are you being pulled to Christ this morning? Is there something inside you that's tugging at you to trust God this morning? I think that's an important question. If there's something inside pulling you to Christ this morning, then I challenge you to walk towards Him. All right? Walk towards Him. If there's something here today that's making sense to you for the first time, it's the first time that it's ever made sense to you, then I would challenge you to <clears throat> receive Jesus Christ this morning. That would be my challenge to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let's bow your heads with me right now, all of us. And if you are here today and you're saying, hey, I... This makes sense to me. I feel like I need to ask Jesus Christ to save me this morning. Say this prayer after me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I now see who Jesus really is. And I now understand what Jesus has done for me. I confess I have sinned in many ways. I do not deserve your grace, but I ask that you forgive me. I repent of my sins, and I trust Jesus and what he did on the cross in rising from the dead to give me new life. Today, I believe. Amen.